Friends, welcome to Leadosophy. You're here with an open mind because that's the rule, not the exception. Thanks for joining today. I want to provide some analysis on the spider graph that I created last week. And I got a lot of feedback from people on who did they want to work for? The orange boss, the blue boss, or the green boss. And these three different bosses were separated by different leadership traits. They were strong in certain traits. They were weak in other traits. And there were three different bosses to choose from. I want to give my analysis on everyone's feedback because I got a ton of just excellent feedback and was able I was able to connect some ideas. I had to maybe jettison some old ideas that I thought were important to leadership, but maybe not as important to other people, which I think is one of the great things about leadosophy and, and talking to other people about their ideas of leadership, what leadership means to them, what a good leader looks like to them. It's, it's good to talk about that in different aspects and get different people's opinions on that stuff. So here we go. Hope, hope you enjoyed this show. And if wherever you're watching or listening, I'm grateful. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution. You are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, friends, welcome back. As you can see, if you're watching on the screen, I have the spider graph I had up on Friday. If you haven't checked out Friday's show, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to Friday's show. There's a link in the show notes about how to access this graph and give me your feedback if you want to provide feedback on which boss you would like to work for. But just a quick recap, if you were provided with three different bosses to work for and you didn't know anything about these, these individuals, they were anonymous, but you had on paper their different ranking, trait rankings, and there's, I think, seven different, eight different categories. Technical competence, likability, communication, talent developing, reliable, decisive, inspiring, and stoic, and empathetic. So I guess there's five, nine. There's nine traits. I'm not going to go into all those traits and the different bosses because I want to just provide my analysis on some feedback people people gave. But I want to first start with trait theory because I've, I've done an episode on leadership trait theory before. And I don't think we can talk about leadership. Or I don't think there's any leadership theory that is complete without talking about the traits and characteristics of a leader. I just don't think that's possible. Trait theory is still a dominant theory of leadership, probably one of the most dominant. And again, I don't see that ever changing. I could be wrong, but if I'm right, the real question is why? Why is trait theory, why is a leader's traits so vital to leadership? Or why is that always part of the conversation? How can we even have a conversation about a leader's, effect leader's effectiveness without getting into their traits? whether they're their own character traits or the traits that they deliberately value or they make explicit to others. I value empathy. I value compassion. And that's important because the traits that a leader values, whether it's empathy, compassion, being a stoic person, being very decisive, there's a good chance that these leaders are passing traits down. They're teaching others, potential leaders, traits that they value. They're talking about their values in a leadership setting. And I think that's a good thing. And it's also a good thing, but because someone who is following a leader and they're aspiring to be a leader, it's good for them to see what other leaders value from a trait perspective. 
whether it's compassion or empathy or even being likable, because they can see if those connect with their values and how do they want to be as a leader. We've all had leaders that we look to, we emulate, or we choose not to emulate. And when you ask why we choose to emulate somebody or not emulate, it's a lot, I believe a lot of times it comes down to the traits that they have or they display or the traits that they value. So I think that's one of the first insights after creating the infographic and then talking to other people about their, their ideas of, of leaders and what traits they have and what's good, what's bad. Those are, those are the initial ideas that I have. Which comes to my next point is why do we value certain leadership traits? And these are some questions for you to ponder. We can ponder together. Why do we value certain leadership traits? And how did these leadership traits emerge? How did these values emerge? If I value empathy and compassion, how did that emerge? Is it something that just came about when I became a leader? Or is this something that started way earlier in life? I find that fascinating from a leadership perspective. You know, even the things that we've, we learn in childhood, how does that carry over into our adolescent years and onto, you know, our young adult stage and eventually as we're a mature adult? One of the biggest takeaways I got from, from this exercise was the transcendence through different types and styles of bosses. Do we as leaders make a, a transcendence through different styles of bosses? I think we all, our leadership styles evolve. Hopefully it's evolving in a positive way, but can our leadership styles devolve into something negative? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. And again, I think it goes without saying that our leadership styles change as we age or we become more mature, or we get more experience. I think that's intuitive. But one of, one, of my, one of my friends made a comment about how early in their career they valued technical competence as a leader and as a young leader, they valued technical competence. And then as they progressed through their life over the, over the years, they started valuing more like compassion and empathy and I don't really like to use the term soft skills. I think that's overused a little bit, but those emotive traits, those, you know, emotion, if we're going to talk about emotional intelligence, maybe the emotional intelligence side of of leadership emerges later in life. Or maybe some people have that from the very get-go, from the minute they step in a leadership role, they have that, they're able to do that. But his comment about empathy and compassion later in life and technical competence early in life resonated with me because as I reflected back, Early in my career, in my 20s, or in my early 20s, especially early to mid-20s, I definitely valued technical competence, getting real, getting real proficient in my craft. And I may have done that to a fault at times where I was dismissive of the needs of others. And maybe not intentionally, but maybe I just overlooked it or didn't pay enough attention to the emotive needs of others because I was so fixated on technical competence. And again, maybe this is just a natural progression that a lot of leaders make early in their career. They're trying to establish themselves, gain that technical proficiency, mastering their craft, and they evolve. And again, I ask it as we age, is it natural that our values change? And and we may even change our approach to building relationships with others in the workplace. Will we change how we develop relationships in the workplace as we evolve, as we get older? I think about competition and collaboration. Again, emotional maturity as we mature, as we get older, will we become more collaborative? Will we try to create a collaborative environment 
more often as we get older, as we are more, more set in our leadership role, as we're more confident, and maybe we become less competitive, less tribalistic. And again, could this have something to do with, with emotional maturity? I'm not really sure. Could one leadership style continually fail? So a person makes a deliberate choice to alter course, alter their leadership style and the traits that they value. Can a leopard change her spots? These are questions for leadosophy that, that I ponder often. The next point I want to talk about from an analytical standpoint is shifting importance on trait, trait values to meet the context of a particular situation. And I don't think this means that we have to be two different types of bosses. I think it's safe to assume that leaders, to be effective, need some sort of adaptability and flexibility in their roles. And this partly applies to the trait, traits we choose to value in particular circumstances. But for me, this, this brings up a question. And this is, I think this is an important question. I want to I be very careful on how I ask this question because we may be able to gain a few insights on, on leadership and traits through this question or these questions. The first question is, will the situation or the context of a situation determine or even force the leader to prioritize one valued trait over another? Say, the difference between compassion and being indifferent or indifference. And here's a, here's a question. Can you think of a leadership scenario where a compassionate leader is forced into a box of acting from a place of indifference or even cold heartedness. Is this possible? I don't know. Is this possible? So this is the first question is really to the heart of will the context of a leadership situation force the traits upon the leader? The second part of the question is the leader's character, which partly is the makeup of all his or her traits. Will that predetermine the outcome of this particular leadership scenario, regardless of the leadership context. For example, leader X always values compassion over all other traits. Thus, leader X will always decide and act through a filter of compassion, regardless of the context. And is this a good thing if this is if this is true? Again, I'm not claiming to know the answers to these. These are just questions that come up. And there are a lot of questions that came up from from hearing people's responses on leadership traits. A very simple insight I got from this exercise was everyone's Everyone was adamant on communication skills. There were a couple of the choices. One of the choices, I think it was, let's see, it was the green boss, was pretty average in communication. And that, in the people who were high on communication, that elicited a lot of comments and a lot of feedbacks about how a leader should value communication. That's listening. That's how they speak, how they, how they portray their vision for the future, how they lead other people towards goals and how they articulate those goals and what's important. So I think how we communicate in our communication skills, I think we can all agree probably that communication is vital, vital to leadership. This was an interesting, some interesting analysis that I've taken away from this. I receive a ton of comments on people not needing motivation. I don't need you to motivate me. I'm in this position, I'm working hard, I'm trying to get proficient in my craft, or I am very proficient in my craft, I don't need you to motivate me, 
Just make sure I have the tool. And this comes back to, I've harped on this over and over and over again from a leadership perspective. Give people knowledge, tools, and resources so they can succeed. Remove the barriers and obstacles that are, that are preventing them from, from flourishing in the workplace or in the community or wherever. And again, this also gets in the heart, the differences between motivation, motivating others and inspiring others. I talk about this a lot. I think there's a, a very big difference between trying to motivate somebody and just inspiring them. I feel like ins- inspiration comes more from, from actions. You know, people gravitate towards what we're trying to do, the work we're trying to put in, our effort. Where I think I always always think more more negatively towards motivation. And I don't always know why. I think it's because of the carrots and sticks and, you know, trying to coax people to do a certain job. I mean, why do we have to coax people to do something? Why do we have to dangle something in front of them to get them to, to act? Again, fascinating from the world of psychology. And it's a real thing in the workplace, especially when it comes to extrinsic motivators, money, perks, parking spots, whatever it may be. Rounding out the analysis here, there is a link between technical competence and being able to make decisions. Is a leader's decisiveness and a leader's technical competence tightly or loosely coupled? I had someone tell me that they, they value technical competence because that person or that boss would be decisive. But does that follow? If a person is highly competent in their craft, does it mean they're going to be decisive? Does it follow strictly that they're going to be decisive? Does it follow that a leader with high technical competence will be more prepared to make decisions and will this equate to making better decisions? Those are questions for you. Those are questions for the audience. And again, I think we need to make a distinction here between technical competence and experience. Is it not possible to have high technical competence but little experience in a particular field? I think, for example, maybe take a software engineer. They may have high job competence, high technical competence, but they might have little leadership experience. And I think this is where we have to parse through the differences between technical competence and leadership competence, technical competence and management competence, technical competence and followership competence. I think those are four different distinct categories. I even posed a question back to the person who who gave me some feedback and I, I asked them, about technical competence and leadership competence. And I said, are they two, I asked the person if they were two different sets of skills, technical competence, leadership competence. Are there, are those two very different skill sets? Someone, someone also mentioned they wished I would have added a, a genuine, a genuine trait on the graph. So instead of like just empathy, stoic, inspiring, they, I should have added genuine and this person said that because this would have been on the top of, of his list of top value traits is a leader who is genuine. My questions that emerge are, can we ever know when a leader has genuine empathy or genuine compassion? Or when a leader asks for someone's feedback, are they asking from a place of being genuine or are they simply checking the boxes of empowerment? Does that leader genuinely care about your input? And those are fascinating questions because you never really truly know someone's underlying motives 
internally, you know, that, that place between the ears that you can never explore in someone else. But I agree. I've, I think we have all seen people out there who act like they care and you, it almost seems forced. And that's, that's really tough. That's tough. Especially if you know, it's kind of like an act that's tough, tough to follow that act. No pun intended. All right. Last couple points here. The likability conversation came up again. I've done a whole podcast on likability. Is it important for a leader to be likable? And this person, actually, I took a quote from this person. He said, he said, I think a good leader has to be likable to some degree or people will check out or plot a mutiny. And that's a good point. I mean, do you agree? I, a leader has to be likable to some point. Some questions I posed in the course of our conversation were, do you think it's, it helps to have a likable personality and leadership? Is it possible to be likable without trying to befriend your followers and peers and bosses? We don't necessarily have to be friends with our followers or even our peers or our bosses, right? Some people would even say that's definitely discouraged. People are on different spectrums of this as far as relationship building. Are followers more reluctant to follow a leader by choice if that person is not likable or that person does not display likable personality traits? How much emphasis and energy ought to be placed on relationship building? And how do we build a coalition of willing followers? And I want to emphasize the word willing. We want people to follow us willingly, right? There are some people in the work, workplace they require to follow a leader because their title or whatever it is. But as a leader, shouldn't we want people to follow us willingly by choice and not by force? And how do we... How do we get that? I guess is the more fundamental question is how do we, how do our actions, our decisions, our behaviors, how do they get people, how do these different, these different confluences get people to, to want to follow us? Easier said than done, I imagine. All right, the final point I want to bring up, which is might be one of the most important points from a knowledge standpoint. This, this exercise I started on Friday Last Friday, it was about the value of co-creating knowledge. And this is the spirit of leadosophy. This is, this is why I created leadosophy, buried within the roots of knowledge like questions and dialogue. Insights emerge from questions and listening to others. New concepts are formed. Old concepts are dismantled and reassembled, and not necessarily with new material, but using existing material to build something new. So leadosophy is on a flight path to determine what the essence of leadership is. I created an infographic last week. It was about two episodes ago. And it, were, it was 10 questions, reflective, self-reflective question, questions for others to, to deepen their understanding of their own leadership styles, their leadership philosophy. And I think what the first question was about what is the essence of leadership? What are the fundamental characteristics of leadership that when removed, leadership ceases to exist. So this exercise I did with, with the spider graph was just a small part of that information gathering, a small part of trying to determine what the essence of leadership is. And honestly, maybe leadership really has no essence that can be pinned down into, into something neat or packaged into something neat. So that's my analysis of the, the spider graph. I'll put that link again in the show notes. You can check it out. I did a, I posted a survey yesterday and I'll post that in the show notes as well. 
And I took this to the next level and I, I had a list of 10 traits. And in the survey, I asked everyone to rank order the traits from one being their most desirable in a leader and 10 being the least desirable. And I think it was kind of hard because I think all of those traits that I, I gave or put on the one question survey were all desirable in some respect. They weren't, there were, there were no negative traits. So I think it was a tough for a lot of people to rank order those, but it's funny what has emerged from, I guess not funny is not the word, but I find it fascinating and just a quick insight into the first 25 responses or so that I've gotten from this, from this survey is if you go back to the spider graph, a lot of people didn't like the green boss who was very high in technical competence and very decisive, but yet they lack some of those soft skills, the empathy, compassion. But yet in the survey, a lot of people ranked technical competence as number one, the number one most desired trait. So I find that dichotomy interesting between when presented with three different bosses you want to work for, they don't necessarily want to work for the boss who's highly competent. But yet when they're asked to rank value traits, they value extremely highly, usually number one or number two, technical competence. So that's a little insight. I'm going to talk about probably the next episode on Wednesday. I'll talk about the results of this survey and I'll, I'll put them up so everybody can see. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life and of life. Thanks for watching. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.